Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. Good morning. It's good to be together, amen? The psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. So as we gather this morning, we're here to magnify the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Pastor Chris has shared with us in the last several weeks this current uh, sermon series. You asked for it. The last few weeks, we had a chance to look at things prophetic, the work of the Holy Spirit, issues pertaining to eternal life. And this week I want to share with you, I guess I kind of pull the anchor and share the last part of the Sunday mornings. But before we look at our task for today, I want to lend my voice to that that was on the video and also what Pastor Chris shared, that tonight we have a special time. We want to gather at six, and a team of our leaders will be here just to direct us in other questions. Obviously, we could not answer all the questions that came in in four Sunday mornings. But this evening, a team who's been working together over the last two weeks will be addressing the remainder, I believe, the remainder of the questions that have come. So I want to encourage you to come. The questions came from you. We wanted to hear from the body. And tonight, we want to give voice to responding to some of those questions. I want to tell you the direction I'll, I'll be going in this morning. But first, I want to tell you how it came about. A week ago, this past Tuesday, I had a breakfast meeting with one of the young guys from the church. We're meeting over at Panera, which is like my second office. <laughs> We're going to meet at 9.30, so I thought, well, let me get there a little bit early and, and get some work done. And then as I got there, I thought, what can I get done realistically in 20 or 25 minutes? So I thought, well, I have a partial list of the questions that were submitted by the body. Let me read over those and, and see where God would direct, because I know I'll be preaching this morning. As I'm going through them, I came to one, and it just stuck out. You know those times when you're reading the scriptures, and all of a sudden it's like, bam, there it is. Well, I'm reading over these questions, and this one stuck out, and it's, I instantly knew that it was the Lord. I still had a few minutes before the young man arrived, Then, within 20 minutes, I had the outline of what I wanted to share with you this morning, and over and over, God just kept confirming that this was it. Interestingly enough, the word the Lord laid on my heart was three days before the national calamity in Charlottesville. One of the things that excites me is that God is not one who has to wait for news to happen to determine what he wants to say. God knows what he has to say to a people, to a person, to a nation long before it hits eyewitness news. Amen? So it's very timely what we'll be sharing on this morning. And I share a question that came from the body. Let me read you the question that was presented. The theme, very simply, is race. Because I believe that although racial diversity is a strength of the evangel, I also believe that we may have issues of racism that surfaced with Trump and haven't healed. How can the church engage in open dialogue about race and cultures? As the demographics of evangel seems to be changing with more black and brown faces, how can we work toward making sure that we continue to attract all people and underscore what unites us, that what unites us is Jesus. There are two segments of that question that I want to zero in on this morning. How can the church engage in open dialogue about race and cultures? And how can we work towards making sure that we continue to attract all people 
and underscore that what unites us is Jesus. The title, therefore, of this morning's message is very simply, Race. It's time to talk. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, how grateful you are, Lord, for your presence. Lord, as we have sung about your presence and your love and your assurances in your gospel, the simplicity yet the strength of all you provide for and give to us, God, our hearts are thrilled this morning. We're thrilled when we think of the words of Simon Peter that we have not given ourselves the cunningly devised fables of men, but Lord, to the God who really is. Lord, this morning as we address the question that is before us, God, we give you thanks that we don't have to fabricate an answer. We don't have to look far to find how to respond because, God, your word is filled with truth that addresses the things that are before us this morning, the things before us tonight, and all those things that are before us just in life itself. So, God, in these moments, guide us. Father, give us truth. Lord, would you help us this morning not to simply sermonize, but to communicate those things that are in the heart of the Lord. And now, God, bless this time, we pray. For this and so much more, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. In polite circles, it has been taught for many, many years that if we want to keep the peace, if we want to retain friendships and family members, there are at least three things that we just don't discuss. We don't discuss politics, we don't discuss religion, and we don't discuss race. Well, this morning, I'm going to tackle two of those three. I'm not talking about politics, so you don't have to hold on to the seat. <laughs> we'll talk about religion only in this context. The scripture talks about true religion or pure religion. And what that literally means, it talks about worship. Pure worship unto God. The conduct of our lives, the King James says the conversation of our lives, is what is identified as worship. We worship God not just with the songs that we think, sing or the tasks that we perform, but with the ways that we live our lives. So in that regard, we'll touch on the issue of religion. But in due response to the question, we want to talk about race this morning. For some reason and for many generations, mankind seems to have successfully failed to engage in respectful debate informed celebration, or even a harmonious disagreement when it comes to many of those things that tend to divide us. Instead, we become like boxers, each one rushing to defend his corner, to come out swinging at whatever person they deem to be an, an adversary. Or we become like that pistol-wielding dual rival whose success or victory largely depends on the steady aim, and the formidable attack speed that he might have who seemingly seems to make him superior than his opponent, his or her opponent. This does not mean that that person is right or better. It simply might mean they have a more steady hand or a more skillful aim at their target. In order this morning for us to properly address the question that has been given, there are two things that I need to take care of first. First of all, I want to define for us, so we're all on the same page, I want to define race, and I want to define culture. Because since we're reading a question that deals with those, then let's make sure we're on the same page. Race is defined as each of the major divisions of humankind, having distinct physical characteristics. 
Culture, on the other hand, is the social behavior and norms found in human society. So when we talk about race and culture, we talk simply about those physical characteristics that define one people group from another. And when we talk about culture, we're talking about social norms, we're talking about behavioral patterns that also distinguish one people group who may or may not be a different racial group, one from another. Secondly, while the author of this morning's question confines their language to the issue of race, I believe that the heart of the question is broader than that. And it drives us or compels us to dig just a little bit deeper. I think that, and I've read this question over and over and over that came from one of our members. And I think honestly that it more precisely raises this issue. How can the church engage in open dialogue about the many things that divide us, including race? As long as man has lived in community, we have found ways, many, many ways, to separate ourselves one from another. And usually, our separation from one another has to do with those parts of our being that are the least enduring or the most temporal in nature. If you subscribe to what the theologians call the trichotomous definition or the trichotomous view of man, then we believe that man is made up of three parts, a body, soul, and spirit. Our soul is designed by God to live forever. Some define the soul as that which houses our intellect, our emotion, and our will. Our spirits are also designed to live forever, hopefully in the presence of Almighty God. Amen? Amen. But there's that part of us, our bodies, body, soul, and spirit. Our body, if we get a good 70, 80, 90 years out of this, and we've done exceedingly well. But may I suggest to you that when we look at the trichotomy of man that our body is the least enduring part of us. It is the part that is not designed physically to live forever. The Bible tells us that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we get to be with the Lord. He'll give us a new body that will last forever. And I give God thanks because these knees aren't going to make it for all eternity. <laughs> the reason I mention this, though, is because when it comes to selecting those things that tend to separate us, we give our greatest focus to the part of us that is the least enduring. It's not our soul or our spirit, but we, we look at that physical part of us. We look at our body, what we look like, what we sound like, and we make judgments and assessments of one another based on those parts of us that are absolutely the most temporal. Things like skin color, things like unfamiliar foreign customs, unattained personal currency, it's a fancy way of saying I'm jealous because somebody has more than I do, so I'm in sin. We look at things like unaddressed curiosities and unaddressed concerns when it comes to people who are dissimilar to myself. While the world might find ways to try to justify this kind of behavior, may I submit to you this morning that such unwarranted separation is absolutely unacceptable among those of us who call ourselves the children of God. Amen? amen. Now, if you didn't say amen, I would, because it's true. This kind of unendorsed, biblically unendorsed separation should never be named and endorsed and nurtured among those of us who call ourselves children of God. Yet we find time and again that this is nestled all too comfortably within the company of those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. The proof of that 
is that here we are 2,000 years after Jesus Christ came and ascended. And we still find ourselves asking the question, how can we even engage in the dialogue? 2,000 years. And here we are in 2017 asking ourselves the question, how do we talk about this stuff? Somehow I just don't think it took the Lord 2,000 years to give us an answer to the question. It would be fine if the Bible was silent or if God had nothing to say about these issues. But that's not the case this morning. The Word of God has much to say about how you and I are to dwell with one another, especially those of us who claim to be children of Almighty God. That having been said, I want to turn your attention to a very, very familiar portion of Scripture. If you have your Bibles or if you want to look at the screen, I want to go to the book of Acts, chapter 10. And I want to read the first of several passages of Scripture this morning, highlighting one particular verse. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Translation this morning. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and, what is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Before we read the next verses that deal with Simon Peter and his experience, I just want to tell you a few things about Peter, remind you of a few things about Simon Peter. Simon Peter was the one who preached on the day of Pentecost. Simon Peter is credited as being the first one of the disciples to proclaim that Jesus was the Christ to the Gentiles. Simon Peter was one of the boldest of all the apostles, and Simon Peter was willing to suffer persecution. He was willing to suffer the indignities, the imprisonment, and beatings, and he rejoiced at the privilege of being persecuted and suffering and disgraced for the name of Jesus Christ. Yet, I want you to consider this morning the genuine commitment that Simon Peter had to the only faith and the only practice that he had ever known. If Simon Peter was alive today, we might call him, we might label him an Orthodox Jew. Simon Peter had a great fidelity to the Word of God. He, he, he knew the Word of God, and some say he was just a stupid fisherman. They couldn't be further from the truth. Simon Peter loved the word of God, he, and he served, and he did what he knew to do to the best of his rather brash ability. Simon Peter, when he stood on that rooftop that day waiting for lunch to be served, the scripture makes it clear that he was committed to what he believed to be the truth, and he was not willing to violate those things that he had always heard were the right things to do or not do in the presence of Almighty God. That being said, let's continue reading. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the rooftop to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. While Simon Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. The holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guest. I want you to see what took place on this afternoon. Simon Peter was staying as a guest in the home of a man named Simon, who happened to be by profession a tanner, a worker of leather. Simon is there, and it's around noon, and he goes up onto the flattened roof, which is a typical kind of construction of that day. He goes onto the flattened second-story roof, and while he's there, he's hungry. So his host, his hospitable host, decided to make lunch for him. While lunch is being served, Simon Peter is on the roof, and all of a sudden he goes into what the Scripture calls a trance. And what he saw was heaven opened up and something that looked like a sheet descended. And it was full of all kind of creepy, crawly sort of things. And, and the voice of the Lord, the angel of God, said to him, Simon, kill and eat. Simon, being the very, very orthodox believer that he was, says, not me. He said, I've never in my life got eaten these things. And I'm not about to do it today. So the Lord cleared his throat and said, Simon, kill and eat. Simon cleared his and said, not today. And this happens three times, and all of a sudden, the sheet, this vision goes away. Simon awakens, and he, he's wondering what really took place. While we know that the content that was represented in the sheet was all manner of animals and living things that violated the Jewish dietary law, May I suggest to you that when we look at the context of what we have in this passage, God was not interested in talking to Simon Peter about lunch. There was something else God wanted to address with Simon Peter that day. When he looked inside that sheet and saw all these things, Simon said, I've never eaten these detestable things. And God says to him, don't ever call unclean that which I call clean. When you look at the context of what God was presenting the Simon that day. It becomes clear that God wasn't talking about lunch or talking about food, but he was talking about something much larger and something much more significant that the Jews would, would routinely call unclean, and that was the Gentiles. God was about to change something in the entire rhythm of Simon Peter, and he brought him to the rooftop to prepare him for what took place. Right after he awakens and hears this from the Lord, Scripture says there were three men standing outside the gate. And they were calling for Simon, whose name is also Peter. The Lord speaks to Simon again, and he says, There are some men downstairs waiting for you. Do not hesitate, but go and see what they want. 
I want you to understand what took place and the time frame it happened. I just shared with you the details that we've read so we know the movement of the day, but I want you to see the deeper thing that took place. God was resting in Simon Peter's heart. I want to take you and your formal Orthodox Jewish self, and I want to take you to the Gentiles because they too need to hear the word of the living God. And I know you've called them unclean in the past, but I'm telling you today that that which you've called unclean, never call unclean again. Simon Peter goes downstairs. He's heard from God. He sees these Gentile guys. He says, come on in the house. And he entertains them. And he invites them to spend the night. Simon was bold. It wasn't even his house. But he says, hey, guys, come spend the night. They spend the night. He gets up the next day and he goes with them to Cornelius' home, this Italian, centurion, God-loving Gentile. And he goes into the house and he says, what do you want? And he said, just tell us something. And he begins to talk about Jesus. And while he's in the middle of his sermon, all of a sudden the Holy Ghost lands on that place. And these Gentiles get filled with the spirit of Almighty God. But this is the point I want you to see today. The rhetorical question this morning is, how long did it take? God was asking Simon to do something that he had determined all of his life successfully. I will never do this. But when God said do it, it took him one lunchtime to obey what God said. He heard the voice of God and all the debate was over when God said, go downstairs and do not hesitate. Next thing you know, Simon's on the first floor doing what God said. Why is that important? God was talking to him about going to a people who were not really unfamiliar. They were just unliked by him and the rest of the Jews. But God said, I've got something to do and I want to send you. He understood what God said and he obeyed immediately. The sad thing is that here we are two millennia later. And by and large, we still don't have it right. We're still asking the question, God, how do we even talk about these things? Paul understood the same truth. When he wrote to the churches in the regions of Galatia, we find in Galatians chapter 3, he said, So in Christ Jesus we are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now we know he wasn't talking literally because as you looked around the room, there are male and female. There are Jews and Gentiles. They were bond and they were free. But he was saying inside where it really matters, when it comes to our existence before God, he said all those things drop by the side. For in Christ, in Christ, we are all one. Glory to God. Amen. He also endorsed. He endorsed this same revelation when he stood before the philosophers on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. He said this in beginning in Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 24. He said, the God who made the whole world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Listen to this. For one man... I'm sorry, from one man, he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. NIV says one man. If you're reading the King James, it says for from one blood. And that's actually a better translation. And the word translated man or blood there talks about the substantial basis of an individual. The word translated nation is the word ethos, and it talks about people or race. 
And what Paul said to those philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens, he said, for God, from the substantial basis, from one substantial basis, made every race and every people. And I go back to what the angel said to Paul. Therefore, don't you ever call unclean that which I make clean. Folks, do you see the pattern in Scripture? The Bible has a great deal to say about the questions we asked this morning. And it is in every way right for us to raise these questions. I applaud the person who sent it in. Because in deference to polite social habits, but they tell us we can't talk about these things. Folks, it's time to talk. And if we as the body of Christ can't talk honestly and open about this, what do we have to offer the world? When you look at what happened in Charlottesville, it is one more indicator that our world needs somebody to bring a message of reconciliation, not just with God, but with one another. And if the church doesn't get it right, and if the church doesn't speak, where is the hope of humanity? So we must have these conversations. Let me go a little bit further. In order for the church of Jesus Christ, at least the church in America, in order for us to bridge this gap and to heal this family wound, and to set an example for the world to see and to recognize there are a few things that we must courageously address and determine to get them right or determine to do right. Let me mention to you very quickly four things. Number one, we need to discuss the roots of our separation. We need to discuss the roots of our separation. In order for the church, or I'm sorry, sustained division Sustained division among mankind, is my opinion, is often the spawn of ignorance, it is the spawn of fear, it is the spawn of brokenness, all of which are in our control to rectify if we make up our minds we really want to do it. All this separation, all these barriers and walls we put up between one another, most of them are within our power to resolve them if we really choose to do that, and especially for those who are believers. It might be a bit of a challenge for those who don't know Jesus Christ, but for we who claim to have the answers to the eternality of mankind, there are answers to this. And when we make up our mind, we choose a resolve, as did Simon Peter on that second floor flattened roof. Folks, we can get the job done to the glory of God. And we have a witness to present to the world around us. Let me talk about a few things that are often part of the roots of separation. I can't give you an exhaustive list. We don't have that much time today or tonight. But let me give you just a couple of things that sometimes are at the roots of our separation. One is ignorance, and this is in no particular order. Ignorance, I didn't say stupidity, I said ignorance, an absence of knowing. Ignorance sometimes is a matter of innocence due simply to a lack of exposure and when it's ignorance based on a lack of exposure, we've got to treat it as such. I was sharing with the 9 o'clock gathering that when I first went to Bible school, I had the opportunity to have one of my roommates who came from a part of the country where he had never in his life until he came to Bible school had never seen a black person in person. He had on the news every now and then, but had never in his life seen a black person. Well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> And he would ask all sorts of questions. Some even made sense. But one of the first questions I remember he asked me was this. Hey, Ron, is your hair always round or do you have to comb it? 
there are some things that are just undeserving of an answer. <laughs> but I realized that that question came from an ignorance, a simple lack of exposure. So over the next year of living with this brother, we became good friends and I tolerated any number of questions along the way. I'll never forget when he went out and bought a dashiki, an African shirt, and said, yo, Rob, what's happening, bro? It's like, just take it off, you know? <laughs> so sometimes ignorance comes from a lack of exposure. There are other times ignorance is selective. It is selective. I don't know you because I don't want to know you. I don't want to spend time with you because I don't want to spend time with you. That kind of ignorance is selective. Our task is to try to determine the reason for the ignorance and then determine what our response will be to the same. My response to the roommate needed to be one thing. I needed to be patient for a while. My response to those who said, like, I just don't want to have anything to do with you or your folks, that's a whole different issue. But to both, God gives us a prescription for how we as believers can respond to those measures of ignorance that separate us. Secondly, one of the things that separates us is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the unfamiliar. And we often find ourselves buying into stereotypes without ever taking the time to personally get close enough to see what people are really like. If you and I, if all of our understanding of different people groups comes from the eyewitness news, 6 or 11, doesn't matter, if that's the only education we have about people dissimilar to ourselves, we're going to hate everybody but our in-laws. We read, we hear the stereotypes, and we buy into them, but we never take the time to understand for ourselves what the person's like. And let me tell you, when we do that, we cut ourselves off from immeasurable blessings that God has given to us. The third thing that often is at the root of our separation is inferiority. And what I call is fraternal twin superiority. Because an attitude of superiority often is a mask to hide a person's own insecurities. So when we come across this inferiority or superiority and we think, well, I I'm separate because I'm not good enough. Or I'm separate because I'm, I'm too good. <laughs> I am all that. One of the things I will always be grateful to my parents for is that they never allowed my brothers and myself to believe we were less than anybody or better than anybody. They just, my dad used to tell us all the time, boys, you need to get two things in life and nobody can take it from you. You need to get a learning and get a burning, get your education and get filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost. But never believe you're worse than anybody else. Never believe you're less than anybody else. And never be arrogant enough to believe you're better than somebody else. When we engage in either of those fraternal twins, we find ourselves often putting ourselves at a point of separation from those around us, and it is not pleasing to God. Number four, I need to move more quickly. Painful personal experiences or calamity. Something bad happened to me, and everybody who looks or acts like that is all of a sudden evil. Something bad happened to somebody that I know. Something tragic happened, and everybody who looks or sounds like that is all of a sudden evil. Several years ago, when I was pastoring in another place far, far away, there was a movie that came out, and I must give this disclaimer, I did not see it. The movie was called Waiting to Exhale. Now, it was funny, in the first service when I mentioned that, there was a lady over here who went, ah, and I thought, ah, you saw it, didn't you? <laughs> Waiting to Exhale, I, I've heard about it, I've seen snippets of it. There was not a man worth a nickel in all of Waiting to Exhale from what I heard. 
And the mantra of the ladies in there was, men are dogs. Well, at that time, I happened to have several ladies in our congregation who saw and loved that movie. Some had had bad experience with men, so now I'm hearing, on one hand, singing Amazing Grace, on the other hand, men are dogs. <laughs> and at the same time, Kodak had this jingle in their commercials, I see your true colors. So these same ladies who are saying men are dogs are saying, yeah, look at that, brother. I see your true colors. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I take issue with this. Not all of us are bad guys, by the way. But all of a sudden, people got lumped. Men got lumped because of this movie and several people's bad experiences. It's humorous now as I look back at it. But folks, when we do that in society, isn't that tragic? It is a tragic thing when that happens. And when that happens, we find ourselves again separating. At the roots of separation is often history and heritage. Separation that is passed down to us. Separation, my friend. I was telling the, the, the congregation earlier, I've never met a racist baby. I just haven't. I just haven't. They're in the nursery. You know how they put them on the little heating lamp to keep them warm? And they go and visit, hey, how you doing? Not you, I want another pastor to come in. It hasn't happened yet, and I don't think it will. And I'll tell you why. Separation is taught, and then it's caught. And all of a sudden, becomes part of that person. And their mantra becomes, it's all I've grown up with. It's all I've ever known. And the next thing you know, we're separate. And please never forget, never, ever forget the relentless, all too effective assault of the enemy of your soul. He is one who wants to perpetuate this myth of separation and tell us that it can never be done. How can you sing we are one in the spirit? Don't you know what that person did? Folks, tell the devil what Jesus said. Get thee behind me. And you know you have the authority to do that if you're walking right with God. Get thee behind me. Because God said we are one through the blood of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. You talk about... We talk about the roots of our separation. Let me share with you, and the next few will be much quicker. The realities of our separation. Folks, the reality is there are differences. There are. I dropped. Hold on. Got it. There are differences. So why is it that often as believers, we have convinced ourselves in order to really prove that we understand koinonia, we have to de deny differences. There are differences, and the differences should be celebrated. For example, I listen to people, and I've heard this most of the years I've been serving God. You know, I got saved, and I don't see color. Now, I understand what people mean. We all understand what they mean. But if you see me and say you don't see color, you either have an issue with your eyesight or with the truth, one or the other. In all of creation, all of creation, the differences are the things that we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that not every flower is a yellow rose and not every tree is a pine tree. Not every dog is a collie. You understand what I'm saying, folks? It's the differences that we celebrate. So why in the world do we pretend that in order to please God and serve God and really be a Christian and understand koinonia, I don't see any differences. Folks, look around this room. The differences are what we honor. 
what we should honor, and what we should celebrate. We are different in many ways, not in all. We are different in many ways, but difference requires neither denial nor separation. It should bring us closer together as children of Almighty God. Thirdly, the results of our separation. If we choose to stay separate, that is never a neutral thing. There are always fruits that come from selective separation. When we don't find ways to take our oneness to its roots and not allow it to be superficial, when we don't find our way to take oneness down to the roots of our fellowship, we perpetuate the brokenness and we make the old adage true. It says that the most segregated hour of the week is 11 o'clock Sunday morning. We've got to take it beyond this surface rhetoric, and we've got to take it beyond celebrating, whoo, my church is diverse. Here in the Northeast, in the Southeast, on the West Coast, in some major cities around the country, and a few isolated pockets, it seems, in the Midwest. We're starting to see churches look like ours, and we celebrate that. And folks, we should. I'm not being critical. It's just time to talk. We celebrate. My church is diverse. Bless God. Now, I will tell you, having been saved now almost 45 years, it was not like this a few decades ago. It was rare that you would see a church whose complexion looked like, and it do me in that double entendre, whose complexion looked like what we have here at Evangel. But may I tell you this morning, we can be diverse and superficial. We can celebrate something, the roots of which don't go down very, very deeply. So we can say in our compulsory gatherings, look at us and take it no further than that. We may be multiracial, multiethnic, multinational, multigenerational, multilingual, but that doesn't mean, and we seldom find ourselves truly multicultural. Because in most gatherings that are multi stuff, there is a particular culture that seems to dominate, whether that's right or wrong. That's not the issue this morning. That happens. And we need to learn without some cheesy manner of approaching it, how then do we do this diverse thing and truly become multicultural? I think God sets the example for us many places in his wonderful, wonderful word. But let me tell you that when that happens and we celebrate on the surface what this looks like, for example, on a Sunday morning, and it goes no further than that. You know, folks, what we're saying to people. When we look different and one culture dominates, and we're good with that, what we're saying to people is, you're okay as long as you're like me. Many missionaries have done that. Not all and not most, thank God. But many have gone to foreign lands and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, sharing the good news that would wash away the sins of mankind. They have tried to westernize those who have gotten saved. So we tell them, if you've gotten saved, you've got to sing like us. You've got to dance like us. Because if you're like me, you're okay. I've heard believers say to Jewish converts, well, now you're a believer, you're a Christian, you're no longer a Jew. Really? So what we're saying to them, if you really want to serve the Messiah, then that's good, as long as you become like me. Folks, that's when it's surface. That's when all of our compulsory time, when I say compulsory time, I'm talking about times like this, and I say it respectfully. We come to church together. We have no idea who else is going to pull in the parking lot or who else is going to sit in the pew. 
So we, we celebrate that while we're together. And hey, my so-and-so brother's here. My such-and-such sister is there. That's compulsory, if you would. But the real litmus test is what does my life look like in the non-compulsory fellowship, in my non-compulsory relationships, if I look at my own life. And everywhere outside of church, I have no relationship with anybody who doesn't look just like me. I at least need to ask myself the question, why? And have I taken this idea of oneness any deeper than the surface level? Has it gone to really the roots of who I am as a born-again believer? I'll just leave you with that question. Sunday mornings, we may look divine, but often the rest of the days of the week we look very divided because we live a life that says, hey, I can hang out with you if you're just like me. When we do that, we live a lie, and we're fooling no one but ourselves. When I live a, a life that says, hey, we are one in the spirit, and I'm all over that on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week, I really have no connection with or no use for somebody who's not like myself. You know who detects the lie right away? Our children, because they see us around the clock. And those who know us best, folks, we need to get this right, like Simon Peter did. And Simon wasn't flawless. Simon's hypocrisy over his treatment of the Gentiles was nailed in the book of Galatians by the apostle Paul. Paul stood in his face and said, you're a hypocrite. Get it right. And Simon Peter then got it right. So folks, there's grace. I'm talking about grace this morning. God will help us to get this thing right. But we have to stop living the lie because we're not fooling anybody. Lastly, and with this, I'm done. There is a redemptive approach and an antidote to the separation. I'm going to ask Pastor Rick if he can come. It begins with the acknowledgement or recognition of value. How do we start the conversation with one another about things that society says, you really can't talk about that? It starts with the acknowledgement and the recognition of value. Often when I meet with couples in premarital counseling, I hear the statement that communication is the greatest problem in relationships. And I would agree it is one of the greatest or a breach in communication. But I don't know that it's the greatest. I think communication is triggered by something else. I think one of the greatest things we need to guard in relationships is perception. Perception. How we perceive something determines the value we place upon it. The value we place upon something determines how we treat it. I was thinking of the guy and girl who were dating. And when they went to the movies, they got one bucket of popcorn. And she's holding it. And she says, Johnny, would, would you like some popcorn? And he says, no, baby, just let me lick the butter from your fingers. <laughs> they get married a few years later. It's like, go out and get the popcorn yourself. I want to see the movie. <laughs> Perception has changed just a little bit. How we perceive determines the value that we place. The value that we place determines our treatment. How we perceive one another and people dissimilar to ourselves determines how we value one another. And how we value one another determines how we're going to treat one another and how much effort we're going to put into trying to be with those who are not quite like ourselves. Is it biblical? Jesus said this in Matthew 22. He said, and the second great commandment is like this. 
He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Or love your neighbor in the same manner or the same way in which you love yourself. That's the word of the Lord. So how do we do that in practical terms? Let me give you five things and then I'm done. We start by recognizing, recognizing the things we talked about this morning. Recognizing those things to which God opens our eyes that we might see them. The good and the challenging. If we find ourselves nurturing separation and division, then be honest enough with ourselves and before God to repent. God, this is what I've done. I have nurtured this spirit of separation. I've justified why I don't like this person or that people group. Father, forgive me, because I just don't see Jesus doing the same thing. We need to respect. Find respect. Don't expect the next person to be just like you. It'll get kind of boring anyway. Respect that person. Respect their culture. Respect their rhythm. And the things you don't understand, ask them, even if it means is their hair always round. Just ask the questions. And brace yourself for the answers. <laughs> we need to rejoice. Rejoice. Learn to rejoice in what is normative to somebody else. Now, you know I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about bad behavior. You know that. But learn to rejoice in our differences. Our differences make it interesting, folks. It really does. And then lastly, reproduce. Determine you're going to get it right. And then you're going to pass it on to somebody else so they can get this thing right too. So we can really say from our gut, God, I understand that from one blood you made all of us. Every nation, every race, every people. And when we come to you, you said in your word, we are one now in Jesus Christ. With this, I'm done. Any church or believer that claims to be welcoming of and a place for all people must embrace the diversity and cultures of humanity with a pure and pervasive sense of respect. Any church or any believer that claims to be part of and a reflection of the body of Christ much must embrace the culture and the kingdom of God with a profound sense of priority. God's culture is the culture we need to embrace. The culture of the kingdom is the most important culture that you and I can have ownership of. His kingdom culture, his social directives, his eternal truth must beat out everything. Matthew 6, 10 says this. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth or in earth as it is in heaven. Folks, it's time to talk. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to pray, and then I'm going to let you go in just a moment. This morning, my issue, my thought, is not to castigate, to not accuse. But the question came, and I felt a sense of privilege to dig into the Word, to try to answer it as honestly as we could in these moments. But this is what I want to invite you to consider this morning. Simon Peter would probably be appalled if he could pop into Scotch Plains today and recognize that 21st century westernized Christianity still needs to ask the question, how do we have these conversations? 
Simon Peter, who was committed to not doing what he saw in those sheets, when he realized this was the voice of God, he said, I'm in. And in one lunchtime, he took steps that revolutionized his life. That's all it took. One of the things about reading the scriptures or hearing the words preached is that God then holds us accountable for truth. And this morning, I just want to present to us, lovingly, I want to present to us that we have the capability this morning of modeling for a world that desperately needs to know this thing can be done right. We have the capability of doing that. But in order for us to teach what is right, we've got to practice what is right. And this morning, all my invitation is for this. And I'm not saying, well, this is the bony finger of accusation. You or you or you must be doing it wrong. I'm simply asking this. If you're here this morning and your determination is, God, I hear your word. I hear what you're saying. And God, I determine to get this right. Father, talk to me and teach me. Because I want to be one of those believers who understands, Lord, that by one blood you made all of us. And God, it's going to be a struggle because there are things I've got to unlearn and set aside. But God, use me. Use me in this day and hour, in our church, in the body of Christ at large, and certainly in the world that needs to know that Jesus is real and that he has the answers. If that's you this morning, I remind you one last thing. When the angel of God made clear to Simon Peter the message, he said this. He said, do not hesitate. Do not hesitate. Well, you know, Pastor, I want to go home and think about this. Now, maybe when I come back tonight, I'll... Do not hesitate. The word is clear. Now, what are we going to do with it? If your desire is to say, God, here I am. Here I am, kind of like Isaiah. Here I am, send me. God, here I am. Just help me to live this thing right. And I'm going to ask you very quickly to stand to your feet. I just want to pray with you today. It took 12 men anointed by the Spirit of God to turn this world right side up. If half of us who are standing this morning get this thing right, whew, can you imagine the revival that will break out? Can you imagine the strength of our testimony and our witness to a world that is so fragmented and a country that is so divided? But we have the opportunity to show them how to do this Jesus style. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. We thank you, God, this morning for the questions that are rolling in from the body. And we thank you, God, that there's no question that intimidates you and no question for which you don't have the answer. So, God, this morning, from your word, teach us. Teach us and instruct us, oh God. And then, God, may you find of each of us that we're not choosing to just be hearers of the word, but doers also. So God, may we embrace your truth. And God, we confess honestly, sometimes it's a struggle. It's a struggle to outrun old habits or old prejudices or old reasons and rationalizations for our separation. But God, we want to do it your way. So plant within us your seed of freedom and of truth and of unity that we may live in a way that pleases you. Now, God, I commend each one of us to you. I thank you, God, that from this place today, there's an army going forth. The Lord, if we do what you said, we will not just tell the world, but show them this is how it's done in the kingdom of God. God, now I commend each of us to you. God, I give you thanks. I give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God.
We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.